Welcome back, dear listeners, to the next episode of Grimlore, the lore podcast for all your Warhammer fantasy and Age of Sigmar needs. Hello, everyone. This is Gerald once again. Right now, I'm nursing a hangover from our Pinter 12 Too Many from last episode. <laughs> and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Rayway. He's going to teach me about the fantastic world of Warhammer fantasy. How you doing, Rayway? I'm still dying from a sad wound, but it's taking a while to kill me. It's okay. I tried to strike that deal in the gash like we talked about, and I even used some of that ale that the stranger got me with kegs labeled Fenris, because dang, that ale was good, but it was so damn strong. (laughs) Speaking of ale, I would like to introduce you wonderful listeners to the gentleman that sold me this ale. Coming in from Lorehammer, we have Mark. Hey, I got my dwarven ale ready. I feel like, uh, you know, I'm not quite hungover, but we'll get there, I think. That's the goal. And well, we can't get hungover if well. you never stop drinking. <laughs> the dog get. Okay, okay. Good technique. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And we also have another guest joining us tonight, Mr. Slappy. What's up? I have my Elvish pipe weed. Ooh, <laughs> Ooh I need to <laughs> change I'm... my style, I think. I am. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, between the Fenrisian ale, the Elvish pipe weed, and other warp stone substances, I think we're in for a good night tonight. Ah, <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I think I blew up one of my ears doing that. <laughs> uh, that hurt. <laughs> All right. So, how's everyone feeling tonight? Everyone good? Everyone loose? Everyone hungover or high as fuck? All of we're the above. <laughs> <laughs> I know what Mark's on, but I don't want to touch that stuff. A <laughs> little bit of warp dust, a little bit of just whatever I can fish out of the sea. Sometimes it's <laughs> cocaine, sometimes it's just whatever, but, you know, whatever you got. <laughs> I, I don't talk a lot of Warhammer fantasy lore, so I'm actually pretty excited. Like, uh, I've been Warhammer fantasy adjacent for many years, and, like, I followed some of their campaigns, and I've read codexes and stuff, but never really had a conversation about it, so it should be good. That's great. Actually... If you don't mind me asking, what do you know about Warhammer Fantasy, Mark? Um, Yeah, like, I think the biggest part that I was involved in with Warhammer Fantasy was during the end times. Like, I, I got those books and I read through those end times books. But beyond that, it was kind of mostly just like meme lore and splatterings of every faction. And, you know, you read a third edition codex of the Skaven and then you also read a ninth edition codex of the, the Tomb Kings or whatever. So very, very sporadic. That's fair. That's I mean that's a good way to do it though. It's always good to have an idea of the universe, like even if it's very, very sparse, very kind of spread out across like entire editions. Yeah. And what about our guest Slappy over there? <laughs> what do you know about yeah. fantasy? Tell us a little bit about um, yourself here. I am very new to all uh, games workshop, Wars Hammer, uh, stuff like that. So I have no idea about anything. Um I haven't read any of the books, haven't read any of the codexes, haven't followed fantasy at all. So this will be kind of a completely new learning curve for me out of everyone here, I feel like. One of the nice things I like about GW is um, it all feels so familiar. Like you can get tossed into the Warhammer fantasy universe and, you know, you got your dwarves, you got your elves, you got orcs, like all these super familiar things. And yeah, they all have their slight twist and their variations on it, but like, it feels familiar just stepping into it right away. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I'm I'm interested to learn more about it because I do know they didn't. Then they just uh, like kind of bring this back into production, if I remember correctly. 
Yeah, they're yeah, they're making kind of um yeah. Well, it's not so much a reboot; it's more of a prequel to, um, to Warhammer Fantasy. They're basically doing a Horus Heresy like light, where they're doing like 300, 400 years before where before the end times, and the concept is it's it's just going to be a small snippet of the world of just maybe of only a handful of factions. But they have, but they're but they are promoting it, which I'm very happy to see because it means that they're not just kind of going to release a couple models like I initially thought. <laughs> just kind of throw it together. Um, and here yeah, we thought it was no, just I mean, GW's excuse to just you know reprint some old models and sell and just keep selling. Hmm. They weren't selling in pewter. Let's try and sell them in copper. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a GW employee somewhere working there, and he's like, he's had a grudge for five years. He's like, these guys got rid of fantasy and they brought in this AOS, like, and now he's been weaving his way through the GW teams, spreading his little verbal seeds on everyone, trying to come on, we can bring it back. Don't you like the? Don't you like these guys? Don't you want to be cool like the? I don't even know any of the factions right now, but <laughs> Bretonians. Some Zinchian plots. You want to be cool like the Bretonians? <laughs> don't you like the horse fuckers no i mean no no of course no near do i no i don't i don't like the horse fuckers no no <laughs> oh yeah weirdo likes those people <laughs> uh, proceeds to hide bretonian codex <laughs> what bretonians where <laughs> look at that horse what i mean um weirdos <laughs> So maybe here's a good like entry question then like uh, so with like I, I'm like a 40k player so in 40k you have like 60 million years of recorded history you know and snippets all throughout like how many how big is the time frame of fantasy like because you just said yeah they're jumping the story back three four hundred years or whatever so does all of it kind of happen in the span of that kind of period you know. Um, so Warhammer Fantasy is very, very much smaller than 40k in terms of the timeline. Like, honestly, the timeline is only around like 20,000 years at most. Hmm, like, interesting. Since like the creation yeah. of, of their world or whatever. And then, yeah. Yeah. Um, the creation happens like over the course of like 10,000 of those like 20,000 years. And then after that, most of it is like backlog is um like most of the story takes place over the course of that ten thousand year period, and most of yeah most of like the pre like most of the creation myth of those ten thousand years is very much similar to like the War in Heaven of Warhammer forty k where it's like snippets of this snippets of that and sure. like you know yeah it's like mixing and mi- it's like mixing different like creation myths from other of other races like the dwarves might yeah. say this the elves might say this and you kind of use meta knowledge to piece together plus like what codex is say to kind of get the full story so it's definitely like uh definitely more of a mythos than an actually like hammered out event timeline yeah exactly yeah 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 cool okay so i actually have a question for Gerald since he was on the last episode yes can you give me just to prove that you were listening and our guests a very quick 60 second rundown of what we covered last time? Shit, I drank too much Finrizinio when that was going on. <laughs> <laughs> just pause right now, go listen to the podcast, come back to us. Okay, <laughs> give me a couple hours and I'll be right up. Bro, there's a huge <laughs> spider crawling towards me right now. <laughs> Tell Sheila to go back to her hole. And we'll get deal with that later. Right now, Unless we got a podcast to produce. <laughs> okay. So to answer your question, Rayway, we were talking about how 
the creation of the world by the old ones and the slan and the skinks who basically terraformed the planet because it was essentially a death world of a mixture of Fenris and Katachan. And then they purpose built basically everything to establish all life. And oh man, this is a lot to, this is a lot to condense into 60 seconds here. They created the Saurus <laughs> and basically killed off a huge bunch of apex predators to make room for the elves, the dwarves, the humans, so on and so forth. And then the great catastrophe happened where all the old ones mysteriously went out to go get milk and never come back. <laughs> Chaos invades the world aka, uh, in a style very similar to the White Walkers from Game of Thrones. The elves saved the world because elves are apparently cool, I guess. <laughs> and uh, let me see here. Uh... Assyrian takes a sword and dooms his entire race to violence because everyone decides to choose violence that day, and this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> Perfect. There you go. So you guys don't have to watch that last episode because who wants to sit down and listen to me talk about that for two hours when you can hear this sixty-second clip and know everything <laughs> you need to know? Hey, I, I work don't hard think you on know those much about voices. marketing. All right. So the reason why I wanted Gerald to go over that little. Uh, previously on section was because this will actually be a continuation of that event followed by a little bit of so what last episode was effectively the creation myth you know the myth the myth and legends of everything followed by the great catastrophe which is where like history starts for basically everyone else this one will cover some stuff i left out because the two-hour episode is a two-hour episode and they can't fit well i didn't want to push the three-hour mark so so this one's <laughs> going to cover a bit more of the great catastrophe and then leading into what comes after and while joe was right elves did save the world in the last episode this one actually involves the dwarves being involved because i did give our little yes! our little stunties a little bit of a. Uh, I don't want to say I gave them short notice or anything, but I definitely <laughs> didn't give them. <laughs> Got them. I, de- I definitely didn't give them the status they deserve for someone of their of their weight. Stature. And... Exactly. <laughs> of their stature, you know. I can't. I can't. I can't disrespect the little people among us, you know. I gotta think for midgets, so I'm all for it. <laughs> Keep the jokes coming, Ray. Keep the jokes coming. Yeah, if I learned anything from Disney, we're no longer allowed to call them dwarves. So from now on, we're going to call them our little helpers in this episode. Ah, yes. Yes. (laughs) See, I prefer to call them um, freedom impaired, a little helper. Freedom impaired. (laughs) (laughs) And we just got demonetized. Thanks a lot. (laughs) No, I didn't use a word I'm not allowed to use. I just said freedom impaired. Yeah. That could mean anything. (laughs) Exactly. They don't need rights. Holy fuck. Oh, anyway. <laughs> oh. So, <laughs> during the <laughs> the event that was the Great Calamity, which was a great and a horrible calamity, <laughs> um, the dwarves, <laughs> like I said, hid in their holes and decided to hide in the ground because that was a smart option to do. But actually, I kind of lied because not all the dwarves decided to hide in their holes like a bunch of cowards. Among the dwarves was actually one of their gods, because unlike in 40k, where the gods are kind of abstract concepts that may or may not have existed, in Warhammer Fantasy, the gods are real, and they do walk, They do occasionally walk among mortals. Cool, they can actually and, like, manifest bodies and stuff, eh? Yeah, the, um, the concept is very much, um, 
how do I put this? The gods are very much kind of a, a similar to like ancestor gods, where it's like you could either view every mythology as actually happening, or similar to how Gerald said it, it's kind of a forefathers kind of story where it's like, oh, maybe like the founder of this land, he killed like a snake, and generation after generation, it kind of grew and grew until like ten thousand years down the line, someone said, oh yes, the great king of old slaughtered a dragon by himself with his bare hands and he walked seven so he can, steps and died from poisoning yeah so you can you kind of view it in any way you want but mm-hmm. i like to view it as similar to elder scrolls where like everything did happen you just can decide on what on like what very much you know everything is true not everything is canon or whatever the fuck it is whatever whatever gw's cop out is nothing is true <laughs> everything is permitted oh wait wrong franchise <laughs> So, um, the god, the dwarven god Grimni, Grimnir, sorry, he was a, he was basically the dwarves uh, equivalent to like a war god. He was their version of Ares. And he did not like seeing demons at all because, you know, demons are asses <laughs> because, you know, during the calamity, demons are invading. So Grimni decides that he is going to 1v1 hell. Ah, so... He goes up to his brother, who is um, who is called Grungi, and Grungi is a very patient dwarf. He's the, he's a prototypical dwarf. He's the forger. He's the creation. The guy who builds things. He's you know the prototypical stocky, patient dwarf. Whereas um, Grimni Grimnir is very much the the other version of a dwarf. The very short tempered, very aggressive. You know, they're two sides of the dwarf stereotype taken to their extremes. Uh, dwarf it, after my own heart. So Grimney asks his brother to forge him weapons, which he does. And because um, Grimgi is the best dwarf forger ever, he forges two axes, both of which are imbued with basically untold amounts of magic and enchantments before giving them to his brother. And his brother decides, all right, I'm off. And basically charges straight into the North Pole to basically 1v1 an army of demons. <laughs> taking with him he basically provided an open invitation to any dwarf that was exiled so if you were a dwarf who was exiled from a hole for being a criminal or whatever it was basically hey you want redemption come join me as we fight at the gates of hell and they basically it's charged it's done. literally <laughs> and they basically fought like I said it wasn't like the elves and the lizard men did their part but if it wasn't for the dwarves basically being how do I put it nicely Cannon fodder. Um, <laughs> the other races, <laughs> the other races wouldn't have um, lasted as long because dwarves are incredibly stocky and stubborn people. So, like, they might lose an arm, but they're gonna keep fighting because they're not dead yet. They're badasses. <laughs> um, so, you know that the dwarves do their thing. I'm not saying they save the world, but they definitely did their part to help out. Um, at the same time, though, uh, Gringy and Grimney, uh, Grimnir actually had a wife that they shared, who was also their sister. Gross. You don't Alabama? understand dwarven culture. <laughs> <laughs> no one look at Mark's ser- search history, please. <laughs> uh, yes, delete, 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 delete. <laughs> <laughs> Nestling Sweet Home Alabama in a dwarfish accent. <laughs> so there's their sister, who was Va- Valaya. Yeah decided that she was going to she's basically a healer goddess she's 
She's not important. Because, you know, if anything, Warhammer loves it's Warhammer loves women. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> they basically sideline her for most of the grand uh, for most of the great cataclysm because she's basically in charge of she's basically in charge of like creating runes and shields and wards. Although something that does kind of I do enjoy she does is she ensures that every single dwarf in hold, which is like their castles, has a rune of warding on it. And the concept is as long as these runes are on the are on their fortress, chaos could not like enter. And it kind of gives me a Prince of Egypt vibe for anyone who's watched that movie, the animated film, where you draw where you write where you use lamb's blood to like streak across the the door and it kind of keeps, you know, death from entering. It was very similar to that where demons like they could not enter. It was very much kind of similar to like a no-go zone for demons and magic and shit like that. That's, That's a pretty uh, good analogy to make there. Yeah, like, uh, uh, you know, I came from a Christian background and stuff, and you hear all about the Passover and stuff in the Old Testament where God went to Egypt and slaughtered a bunch of Egyptians because, you know, he's a good, loving God and whatnot. Um, but yeah, the, <laughs> the the Jewish people would put lamb's blood on the doorposts of their house, and then the Holy Spirit or whatever fucking avenging spirit God sent to kill everyone would pass over their house. It One of the things I love about GW is all, all these, like, tie-ins where – like I was saying at the beginning, it, it all feels so familiar, but then they put this unique spin on it. Yes, exactly. I, I, I agree 100%. It's, it, it give, like I said, it gives you the callback of the Passover, but in a very dwarven context where it's yeah. instead of using lamb's blood, it's the goddess, uh, their dwarven goddess carves runes into every single fortress to keep demons out, which is both similar and incredibly different from the Passover. You think she would have come up with something for the Skaven, but oh well. <laughs> yeah, they did. They did have a, a strategy for the Skaven. Die. <laughs> That's the opposite of living, my friends. It's still a plan, <laughs> but I'm sure no one wants to become food, food for the Skaven. Skaven, food, food. Yes, yes. <laughs> I feel like I missed a big part of this. I have no idea who the Skaven are. Well, if Excellent. you tuned into our first episode where we discussed the Skaven, you will know more. I haven't listened to it yet. I feel bad. Ah, ah. That makes it even funnier. It's even funnier. <laughs> so, during the whole event, as Veala is passing across every single dwarven hold, which I gotta admit is pretty oppressive, because it, 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 it's a single dwarven goddess traveling across every to every single fortress of her people to carve runes into it while demons are assaulting her, which is a very cool concept. That they don't do anything with, which I find it like there's no stores or anything. It's literally just she passed from one fortress to another, carving these runes in by herself while demons assaulted her and, and it tried to kill her, which is very cool sounding, but they don't do anything with. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just just her walking around with spears, pitchforks, and whatnot sticking out of her back, carving on runes. It's like, oh, just another day in the office. <laughs> <laughs> but once uh, the elves who Clearly are the superior race. Save the world. Um, <laughs> Vayala would actually go missing, which I think is very interesting. She Basically, during her pilgrimage, her goal was to travel to every single fortress and then eventually reach her, her most favorite, like the first dwarven hold. And that was going to be the last place she carved this rune into. I don't, know why you, I don't know why the last fortress you go to is the one you love the most, but you know. I'm not I'm not a dwarf. I don't understand. Because the... you saved the best for last. <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> but, you, when you right. got a plate full of vegetables and a steak, you eat your veggies and your steak, you know. 
Exactly. Uh, of course. She's got her priorities straight, man. <laughs> uh, of course. Sorry, I don't understand the 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 dwarven mind. <laughs> Have you grown a beard for this episode? Because that's what I did, and I feel like it put me right in the mindset. I've been growing this beard for this episode, so what are you talking about? What's your excuse? <laughs> What's your excuse? <laughs> I do have a beard, but that's besides the point. <laughs> it's not very big. I'm sorry. So it's the thought these that gods counts, and these, uh, these dwarven gods, they can manifest yeah. a type of body. Uh, do they describe the body at all? Like, is it stronger, more ethereal, maybe? Like, is it half in, half out, or like? Do they have any description um, of from, from how they describe from how the dwarves describe their own gods? They're very much almost like almost like they're they were just dwarves who were just better in every single way. Like I don't like it is they aren't they aren't bigger, they aren't smart, they aren't they aren't like physically bigger. They're they are very they're described as being just dwarf as no different from another dwarf, except they just have something very different and special about them. Like Grungi, he's the one who forged everything. He's the one who taught dwarves how to forge. Like he is the one who is their teacher, the one who taught them how to forge. Bayella was the one who taught them ruins, how to how to read, how to write, how to heal themselves. Uh, Grim Grimnir is the one who taught them violence, how to fight, how to defend themselves. And they have a bunch of other gods. Isn't just these three. There's there's several other gods, but these three are the ones who do the most during the Great Cataclysm. But to to summarize, it is it, they're described as just being dwarves who are very good and very proficient at a particular skill set, and they are worshipped as gods because of it. So it okay. could be very yeah, which is where the idea of the founding fathers theory comes up, where it's just like oh, they're just very very special dwarves who over generations yeah. have become who have been worshipped into gods. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, although I should mention there is a theory, I mentioned to Gerald, that um, all the races in Warhammer Fantasy come from 40k. Oh, that's a theory. <laughs> Basically, the, um, the concept is the old ones exist in both settings, and they tra- and the old ones in Warhammer Fantasy canonically travel not just through space, but through dimensions. Like, they travel to other realities in a multiverse. And they can set up... Um, Basically, like tunnel, like basically webway gates on these planets that not only connect to one another, like they connect to every other planet in the multiverse that they've traveled to. And whenever they do this, they bring like soldiers, resources. But in one, but in, in one theory, in one retelling, they actually bring like settlers, like refugees with them. And these refugees, they teach and they educate and they like up and they teach them everything they can. And they like set them loose onto the planet to like teach their children and their children's children and so on and so on. And obviously the dwarves is the one is the one who like leans very heavily into this theory that um that the dwarven gods aren't actually gods, that they're just their ancestors. Whereas the elves, they lean very heavily into no, they aren't settlers, they're they are actual gods, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And me a little way to kind of marry the idea of how fantasy is linked to 40k because i know that that theory has been discussed ad nauseum between uh you know in several different uh communities so that was an interesting little spin on that little subject yeah i've never heard that one like i've heard the 
the kind of joke theory where Warhammer Fantasy is just some random planet in 40k that hasn't been discovered yet. And it's just full of random Xenos life forms, you know? I mean, but, the Sigma, the Ultima Sigmentum is pretty fucking big. Yeah, and then they have Sigmar, who apparently was one of the lost Primarchs or whatever. But that's that's all just, you know, that's all conjecture. Well, I mean, if I'm going to be it? honest, the, the orcs are literally the same from in Warhammer Fantasy as they are in 40k. Like, right down to the point that they come from space. Interesting. Yeah. I, mean, like, I don't know if it's true or if it's a theory, but I've heard that Age of Sigmar is on the other side of the warp, like, out of reach. That's kind of cool. Like I could be two different worlds on either side, and the orcs somehow ended up getting mismatched between the two. That's actually <laughs> kind of cool. Given that the layout of cool. Age of Sigmar, I can kind of see it being a like a possibility, or like orcs just kind of randomly do a fucking like orc an orc warp jump, and they just end up in a fantasy universe by accident. <laughs> That'll happen. <laughs> Time to go, crumping lads. Oi, why these guys have spears? Where the bolters? Where's the DACA? <laughs> why is all the DACA gone? <laughs> oh. oh, I love the orcs. <laughs> but following um, the elves saving the world, and I emphasize that the Grimney would actually never return, like from the chaos from the from the doorstop of hell. But he would actually never be discovered. Like anyone who does ret- who did return, claims they never seen him die in battle. So there's actually a rumor. Like it's it's very much a, a legend among the dwarves in the um, in the world that oh yeah, Grimnir is still fighting up there. He's still fighting in the north, constantly fighting demons. And the reason why demons don't invade, or the reason why um, the demon forces we fight, we can always push them back, is because he's taking care of most of them by himself. So he's basically a dwarf doom guy. It's it's honestly a theory that I kind of enjoy because I love the idea that there is like just one guy just st- literally at the doorstep of hell, um, like fighting demons. And for reference, for Mark and our boy Slappy here in the Warhammer Fantasy world, the North and South Poles are basically eyes of terror. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I was on your Discord the other day and I, I seen like the fantasy world map. I've seen like snippets of it, but I never seen the big full one like that. Uh, it was very interesting to look at. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on the layout of the world? Yeah. Like it was very similar to our modern Earth's geography. You know, like they had. Yeah. Just go look it up. Go Google an image of it and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. That was kind of the first thing I picked up. But uh, yeah, even even like. Even in between, like, I'll just call it North America and, like, Europe or whatever, they had that island in the center where in our in our world, you know, some might think that's, like, Atlantis or whatever. But, you know, in Warhammer Fantasy, I think that's where, like, all the uh, the dinos are from, the Saurus people or whatever. Or that's well, where they I know you should their... mention Atlantis. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be really prevalent right away, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but um, for reference, uh, yeah, that's, that's the best way to put it, is that um, the eyes basically... Imagine I have terror on the North and South Pole and Grimney basically traveled all the way to the North Pole where he would where he was basically fighting demons and keeping them from coming coming south, basically. Um, like I said, Vela actually disappears and it's never it's never stated if she did or did not reach the final hold. But given that the final hold was not breached by demons or rather did not fall, it's assumed that she did reach it. 
but what happened to her after is completely unknown. As for Grungi or Grungir, he got kind of pissed off that his brother never came back. And so after the elves basically did a ritual to uh, temporarily close the the gates, the gates to hell, like the gates to the warp, he decided to put down his hammer and pick up a sword. And he actually led a counter charge against the last remaining demons because while the elves did manage to um, basically stop magic from allowing demons to spontaneously arrive, he decided that there were still demons and chaos worshipping cults that were still all over the world. And he decided to have every single hold come out of the ground at once and lead a full scale assault against whatever demons were still alive and whatever demon and whatever chaos cults were all across the world. Hey, someone's still got to be the cleanup crew. Well, the elves were busy kind of, you know, holding the world, keeping magic from in- flooding into the world. <laughs> they needed someone to deal with all the other problems. <laughs> yes. So, like I said, the dwarves kind of, they're pushing back because the dwarves, the dwarves are living in a massive mountain range at the center of the world, basically. Um, so they can kind of just spread out across the region to kill any chaos cults that are alive. Stop whatever they can. But while the dwarves are kind of on their high peak, um, the elves are kind of not because all the greatest sorcerers are busy basically controlling all the magic in the world and making sure it doesn't explode and allow demons to summon. As if that wasn't bad enough, the Phoenix King, who is the leader of the elves um, and the guy who basically taught, I don't want to say taught them violence, he more forced a berserker rage on all of them temporarily actually goes missing like he just fucking disappears he returns to the capital where um he got the sword of caleb and chicane because kane is a god in um warhammer fantasy he stabs the sword back where he found it hops on the back of his big ass massive dragon and just flies away and is never seen again uh, was this established to be around the same time that the dwarf goddess disappears um are you implying that they hooked up and then flew off in the sunset together? <laughs> time, well, they were lovers. Time. <laughs> they could not be together because their <laughs> love it. was forever forbidden. <laughs> stop that. Stop that. No spot. <sighs> I'm just saying. It's a theory. <laughs> <laughs> a game theory. Oh, wait, wrong one. <laughs> um, although, well, the elven gods, also the elven gods disappeared a while ago, so don't worry about them. They weren't involved. They kind of just dipped a, lo- a while ago. But Peace while, out. yeah, so while the elven gods disappeared before the calamity, the dwarven gods disappeared during the human gods actually kind of showed up around this time. For reference, the first human civilization actually exists in what is basically Egypt, and the first human gods are actually in charge of keeping demons from invading what is e- what is fantasy's version of Egypt. According to their legends, the first human gods would spend a thousand years purging the desert wastelands of demons in order to keep very primitive, very, very nomadic and very barbaric human tribes from dying, basically. But it also kept <laughs> them from falling to the worship of chaos because there were a bunch of other civilizations and other human settlements across the world. And if you, it wasn't basically if you weren't in fantasy China or fantasy Egypt, you basically fell to chaos. You either became a worshiper of it or you were killed by chaos. Yeah. yeah, that's not good. Yeah, but on the bright side, well, I guess there's another bright side because you know a lot of people died. 
A lot of genocide was involved. Not just another Tuesday in 40k. I know, right? But Zane Constellation, the dwarves and elves kind of recover a bit. Well, they, they handle they handle the world ending and then not ending a bit better. Because during this time, because the dwarves basically lost their gods who were in charge of teaching and leading them, the dwarves decide that the best option is to elect someone to become the high king, the person who will be in charge of everything to basically rule them since their gods are gone. And their best option is to actually choose a child of one of the gods. Apparently, uh, Grungi, the forge god, he actually had a child. And this child was named Snorri Whitebeard because he was so old. Like, he was so old, but he was also so long-lived that he would eventually earn the title Whitebeard. It's funny because you say right. child of the gods, so I immediately thought, like, they elected a kid, like a toddler, just, like, out of straight out of his nappies. Well, don't you know all dwarves are born with beards? <laughs> Only know. the best. I, I like that, like, uh, title of Whitebeard. Like, it's that step that above Greybeard, you know, like... Yeah, very cool. I haven't heard that before. Yeah, like he's just he he like he would event like he is such a long lived um dwarf even when he's elected that he has that title because like dwarves already can live a very long time, but like Snorri was known to live a very long time. Like he was long lived even for the dwarves. And that's I think old. Is, yeah. At the same time though, the elves did not have as easy basically elves and the dwarves have an almost like parallel um parallel history at this point like they they almost don't know it but they have a very similar journey that kind of reflects how they handle situations like the dwarves they're very communal driven they're very community driven so like they all like unanimously elect snorri uh snorri whitebeard as the as a high king and they unanimously like follow him and worship him or no, i don't want to say worship but they all you know they all respect him as their king as they should whereas the whereas the elves there's actually almost like i don't want to say a civil war but there's very much a political kind of maneuver and there's very much everyone wants their piece of the pie everyone wants their chance to you know get their step a bit higher on the status symbol kind of thing but nowhere near as bad as the skaven right no because the skaven is a conga line of betrayal <laughs> Well, what you were just saying makes it sound like the elves kind of had it too, but just on a smaller scale. Well, it was very much that because the Phoenix King was gone, everyone was kind of like, oh, well, who's going to be our new Phoenix King? Who's going to be the new one to lead us? Do we even need a Phoenix King? Well, we don't need a Phoenix King because we're elves. We don't need a Phoenix King. We can rule ourselves. We can be trusted to rule ourselves. <laughs> well, others were like, no, out of respect for what he did, we should have a new Phoenix King too replace him you know it was very much kind of all these clashing ideas and one of the candidates to become the phoenix king was an Aryan, the phoenix king's second son who was called malekith mm. now <laughs> hmm, i've heard I that like name before of that name. i've heard that name before <laughs> sounds pretty villainy why yep. does that name sound evil <laughs> <laughs> well don't worry malekith's not a bad guy not yet <laughs> <laughs> Keyword being yet. So Malekith was a second-born son of an Aryan who was the Phoenix King. Um, an Aryan's first wife and his first children, like his first wife and first children, were actually killed by demons, to his knowledge, which drove him to become basically a mindless berserker of rage. And because he was so driven by it, he actually didn't really comprehend a number of consequences like marrying a powerful witch and conceiving a child with her. 
Yeah, that could have <laughs> some uh, pretty bad consequences. Okay, but before you go forward, I, this is like the second or third time you say they were supposedly killed by demons. Is this going to crop up later at some point in time? Oh, definitely. Okay, yeah. I won't ask anymore. Yes, I'll, I'll get to it when I get to it, as as a wise man once said. We'll get there when we get there. <laughs> <laughs> so he would marry the witch Marathi, who was a powerful elven sorceress. And the idea was to marry her to use her sorcery to complement his own and his own physical power, an Aryan that is. And to cement their, it was, it was more of a political and like power driven relationship than anything else. Like it was very much, you're a powerful sorceress and you have a lot of political power. So I'm going to marry you because I want the status and I want the extra help on my side. And she was very much marrying him for the status as well. Like it was very much, I'm going to marry the king because he's the fucking king and I'm a powerful sorceress. So I can, no one can question me at that point. And it's also implied that Malekith's birth was only ever another step in the line. Like, oh, I'm only going to have his kid because I want to have his kid because it puts me higher on the status of power and political authority. This is going to be a lot of uh, King Arthur and Morgan Le Fay vibes when he kind of accidentally, you know, conceived Mordred. You know, even even the naming sounds very similar to me. Yeah, I agree. Although Malekith is actually an elf in, uh, I think he's a dark elf in Marvel, and I think in actual um, Norse mythology. I could yeah, easily be wrong about the second part. No, you know you're but, right about the second part. He actually is a dark elf in North in uh, Norse mythology. Ah, good. Then that's prevalent then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, uh, a lot of the people were saying, oh, because he's the son of the Phoenix King, he's the prince. He should become the new Phoenix King. Even to the point that uh, Marathi was like pushing, like his mother, she was pushing. Oh yes, my son should be the Phoenix King. It's only right he his father saved the world, don't you? It was very much. I don't want. It was very much like a widow riding on the success of her of her dead husband. So, hmm. Hmm. and the thing is, though, Malekith didn't want to be king, despite the fact that his mother was very much grooming him to be egotistical. And his father was, I don't want to say an absent father, but <laughs> when his own, when his single-minded goal is, I'm going to kill all the demons and then fly off into the sunset and never be seen again, to say he didn't got milk is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> and despite that, he actually turned out pretty good, actually, like all things considered. Like he actually viewed himself as unfit to be the Phoenix King. Like he was young for an elf. He was young for an elf, so like probably like 200 years old. He <laughs> Only 200 years. Yes, he was inexperienced in terms of government and warfare. He was, he viewed himself very much as, I almost want to say as an Aragorn figure in Lord, he's an, um, like a Lord of the Rings example. Like Aragorn abandoned his throne because he saw himself as unfit, unworthy. And it very much is a similar situation with Malekith. Well, see, usually those kind of those kind of candidates are usually the best fit. But from what I from yeah. what little I know of the act of the mythological Malekith, that doesn't quite go out so well. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, Malekith, um, again, he steps down. He refuses the position, and so they actually elect a new Phoenix King to take his place. Someone who would be a worthy successor. Who this one is doesn't matter because he's gonna die eventually. Spoiler alert! Oh. Oh my I'll god! How dare you spoil it? How dare you? <laughs> Malekith allows someone else to take the position of Phoenix King, 
But on top of that, to further add to the like to further cement that he actually is a pretty decent guy, he actually recognizes that because of his like because he stepped down, a lot of people view it almost there is like conspiracy basically as to oh why did Malekith step down? Maybe he was bribed. Maybe he was convinced. Maybe they have dirt on him. You know, there was very much like rumors and political espionage going around. And there are people who, and there was even like supporters who were like, no, he would, he should be the Phoenix King. Yeah, he's inexperienced. Yeah, he doesn't believe so. But that's what makes him the ideal candidate. He could be someone who would, who can learn like what it means to be a king. You know, there was. <laughs> Sorry, that was making me think of something from Life of Brian, but finish your statement first. <laughs> yeah, and Malikiev realizing this realizing that his very existence was almost like not not good politically for like the unification of his of his um of the high elves like of the elven people he actually decided i'm leaving like he just hopped on a boat took a few p a few good like a few good loyal soldiers and just left just left uthuan which for reference is the donut it's the atlantis parallel to help mark get an understanding i'm following and the idea was, if I leave, um, my presence will no longer, like, be an obstacle in the way of the current Phoenix King. And it can help my people, you know, live without me, basically. Get an idea of who I am without without me around. They can kind of not rely on my bloodline and not see me as just the son of my father. Yeah, it's kind of a big Which, shadow to live in when you think about it. Yeah. Now, that's kind of... That's kind of something good that Malekith does. It's something that I enjoy about him, something I can respect about him. But there is kind of an issue, and it and the elves have an the elves feel it. The el the dwarves don't suffer it as much. It's a lizard man who suffer it the worst. Aww, and that the lizard folks. Yeah. Um so the lizard folks, as they will henceforth be dubbed, um, <laughs> they discover something, and that's any memory of events before the Great Cataclysm are foggy they're incomplete or they're uh, missing any memory that you might have from before the before chaos invaded is almost non-existent and while the dwarves and because the dwarves don't live as long and because they're such a stout race who likes to record information and deeds on stone they don't suffer it as badly the elves yeah they're very ethereal but they also keep records as well and they don't live and they, even they don't live as long as a lizard man but because a lizard man lives basically are basically biologically immortal they suffer the worst like they are like basically anything from before the great cataclysm is gone and because they were literally in charge of terraforming the planet and like keeping it at balance keeping it at peace not having the basic instructions on what their goal is what their job is supposed to be it's kind of not a good thing. I can imagine, but that almost seems like it's, I don't know, it seems like it's coming off as like a, a failsafe on like the slant or the skink part where it's just like, oh, all this crazy shit that happened before just poof, what crazy shit happened before? What are you talking about? Okay, why are you bringing this up? Now come this way so we can discuss this matter in a dark in a dark room. <laughs> <laughs> don't mind the nice. <laughs> no one expects the Inquisition. <laughs> so this actually does fuck them up though because if you remember or for people for our loyal listeners who remember and not for mark or slappy who haven't watched the most recent episodes or haven't <laughs> heard the most recent episodes um the lizard men have a number of like temples all across the planet that are meant to basically stabilize magic um basically all of them were destroyed when chaos invaded 
And because they have no memory of anything beforehand, they actually can't properly rebuild these temples anymore. Hmm. So any temple that is still standing is fine. But anyone that was destroyed or, you know, conquered by chaos, it's it's basically trying to build something from Ikea without the instructs and half the pieces are missing. It's kind of making me think of the Adeptus Mechanicus with like a lot of their STCs that they don't even know how to function anymore. So is what nice. made these shrines or these temples so special? Were they just like huge or like um well, they were the they had a number of features. Um the concept was that every single one of these temples had to be perfectly positioned and built on the planet. Like every single one had to be built a very specific distance away from every single other one. You know, if one's a hundred miles away, then every other temple must be a hundred miles away from every other one kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And the idea was that each one of these temples were basically meant to basically siphon magic out of the environment and kind of like distribute it from across the planet. So like let's say instead let's say um there's 100 magic in on, around one temple, they can, that temple can suck up the magic and distribute it so that only one magic, like one unit of magic is everywhere else. So it's such a small like a small amount that it basically is it basically has no effect on the environment or the world. Interesting. It, yeah, it's very much like a stabilizing factor or um I guess a better way to put it is the uh, one blank every uh, every five feet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So so these temples basically yeah act as like warp conduits essentially. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And during chaos's invasion, a number of these temples, most of these temples were destroyed. Yeah. And again, because these temples were destroyed, it also means that any magic that does exist in the world becomes even more powerful. But you know that's the lizard men who are basically stuck realizing that they can't fix all the temples and they basically have to fortify whatever temples are left that does not stop them from expanding outwards and visiting temples that have been destroyed and trying to rebuild them only to actually end up going missing basically it's any if a lizardman tries to repair a temple that's somewhere else they usually go missing like the like the the settlers go missing that's a little bit suspicious yeah I just think they disappeared, you know. I think they realized, you know what? I'm going to make, like, an old one. I'm going to go get milk. See you guys. <laughs> well, this temple's fucked. I'm out of here. <laughs> you know what? I can clearly see the writing on the walls. This planet is fucked. I'm out. <laughs> see you guys. Peace out, bitches. <laughs> Although, speaking of expanding, at the same time as Malekith is leaving... Um, he doesn't just, you know, banish, you know, I'm just going to, you know, travel the world as a hobo. Um, a number of elven colonies actually started to pop up around the world. And his goal was to visit these colonies because um, they were also isolated during the Great Cataclysm. And he was going to, you know, check out them, make sure that they're OK, you know, trying to trying to reestablish communication and, you know, contact with them, you know, see if they're OK kind of thing. Being, again, an all-around standout dude, which is really crappy. Okay, I'm actually about to break break form here, and, be, and this guy actually sounds pretty cool, even for an elf. Why like, do I get a bad a, feeling that something really, really, really shitty is going to happen to him? I know, right? Like, that's the worst. Like, hindsight's twenty twenty, but holy shit. Hindsight, I wish you would have been present. Ah. Uh. Because as he's going and investigating a number of these elven colonies, he actually investigates a number of them in what is the old world, which is fantasy Europe. 
and in Negaroth, which is Fantasy Canada. Oh, yeah. Fuck that place. I know, right? <laughs> horrible, horrible place. I don't know why anyone lives there. So the guy know. that does live Is it there. comfortable like the real-life parallel? Sorry, what was that? Is it cold and miserable like the real-life parallel? Well, they will eventually have an oppressively authoritarian and tyrannical government, so... Oh, that's nice. Oh, right, right on track. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Who knew GW was able to predict the future? <laughs> oh, man. But naturally, Malekith is expanding all across these places. And while he's actually... He goes to Negroth first, which is, again, Fancy Canada. Then he circles across the ocean to visit um, fa- uh, Fantasy Europe, the old world. And while he's actually there, he actually ends up encountering, like, a number of chaos cults, like human cults have survived that have taken up residence there but he also ends up fighting orcs like greenskins and beastmen who are humans or elves or dwarves who are mutated by chaos and turn into like chaos spawn basically and while he's doing this he actually ends up encountering someone he actually meets snorri whitebeard who is himself going on a campaign to re-establish communication with his own dwarven holds you can see the parallels happening here they're very much yeah. mimicking one okay. another yeah, and what do you what do you think happens when a when the dwarf leader meets an elven? I don't want to say a leader, an elven prince. What do you think happens? I don't <laughs> imagine they'll probably be meeting at a tavern, sharing pints of ale like we are. So, Mark, what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah I'm gonna say grudge match is about to <laughs> Slappy, what are your thoughts? Is, uh, I don't think this is a legless Gimli kind of story. <laughs> no. So, to my three, my three wonderful, uh, my three wonderful listeners here, all of you are fucking wrong. Oh, okay. What happened? Um, you see, it turns out, uh, fighting together against a horde of greenskins, chaos cultists, and uh, beastmen can actually bring people together. Uh, Who knew? I've always said a little <laughs> genocide brings people together. Like no one's fucking doing this. <laughs> oh my fucking god. I'm not Look I'm up. not condoning it. I'm just saying it. <laughs> oh my fucking god. Sometimes sometimes when there is only war, you can bring folks together. Yeah. That's nice. <laughs> well, I'm happy that the elf and the dwarf are getting along. That's oh, so nice. Time yes. after time. <laughs> why why do I feel like something bad's about to happen? <laughs> Does anyone else hear ominous music? This, this might be like a out of place question, but like, so you kind of mentioned briefly, like beastmen were like a warp mutated version of humans or something. And uh, going off that, like, uh, are there any like half elf, half dwarves? Like, can can they reproduce, or is there any mixing and mingling in that regard? Is that even possible, even um, warp magic thing? To my knowledge, there isn't. Um, there isn't any half breeds. It's very much a okay. almost in-universe like joke, like in one of the uh, Godric and Felix books, uh, which is a story about a dwarf and a human traveling around the world for psycho- for just for context. Godric, the dwarf in the situation, mentions to Felix, the human in the situation, that he must have some dwarven uh, blood in him, and he merely scoffs and says, "Like that would ever happen. The um, my race would ever um, like lower myself to breed with you." Like that's even a possibility. That's the famous quote of, oh yeah, we'll ask your mother that. See what she says. <laughs> <laughs> even in Warhammer but, Fantasy, there's still xenophobia. 
Okay. That is interesting because, yeah, that is something that you get in some fantasy universes where you're allowed this, this like cross pollination. But, you know, GW are purists. They don't want no shenanigans like that. <laughs> well, they are Europeans. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So sorry to derail that. Carry on. No, no, it's a, it's a, it's a really story. good question. It's a really good question. I'm happy that I was able to answer it. Yeah, there is, like I said, there to to the best of knowledge, there is no cross pollination. Although I shouldn't really say that because there's also I've mentioned this before. There's a race of dragon ogre hybrids. Yeah, I'm but, sorry, but 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 say cross pollination. <laughs> well, we don't want to say. <sighs> Because that's how you really get fucking in trouble. But yeah, cross pollination. Family friendly. Look, I've said it before. If you know the ship is sinking, the only thing you can do now is let is lay it on fire and speed up the process. <laughs> and smile and wave. <laughs> or laugh maniacally. Mwah! Look, we're going down. All I'm saying is I'm gonna go down in a blaze of glory. <laughs> <laughs> Send me out with a bang. Or another another one of my favorite quotes. Look, one sin or a million, I'm still going to hell. So why not make it a billion and go down a legend? A million is a statistic. <laughs> Ooh, okay, but yes. Um, to go back to uh, Snorri, to back, go back to the genocide of everything that isn't a dwarf and an elf. And I mean that quite literally. They actually did kill a number of human colonies that did spring up. And these weren't even ones that were like, not chaos ones. They were just like primitive, like they were basically primitive human, like barbarians, like, you know, Conan the Barbarian style. They're attacking you with like stones and fucking like primitive spears. And you guys are dwarves and elves, like clad in the most regal, like gallant armor I've ever seen. And like, you can cast fucking fireball and bullshit. <laughs> it's, it's a fair fight. <laughs> so maybe not here's my next long question. Shot. Do do the technology and skill level and magic level of the elves and the dwarves degrade over time? Um, actually, no, not for the okay, dwarf, not for the dwarves or the elves. The elves are still potent, potent with magic. They are they're very similar to forty k ones where they can be prone to um like selfishness and that can affect their magic. Like they might end up, I don't want to say neglecting their magic. But it will actually like, diminish their abilities if they delve too much in like selfishness because it ends up causing them to see themselves and not respect their magic. Whereas the dwarves, because they're so like rigid and sturdy and they're so self, I guess, reliant, their their technology doesn't degrade, but actually also doesn't progress. Okay. Or I, I shouldn't say it doesn't progress, but it progresses at like a snail's pace. That's actually kind of interesting. And all the yeah. like, all the jokes about all the jokes about the elves aside, this, it doesn't seem like these the fantasy elves have that same duplicitous backstabbing nature that the Eldar do in 40k. Or at least that's the vibe I'm getting so far. No, I agree. Like I said, the best way to put it is that their emotions are more extreme, which can cause them to be more selfish and more single-minded. But it doesn't mean that they are all like backstabbing people who are willing to kill to like get a leg up. It's just that they are very they do have a level of self-centeredness that is that borders on like egotism. But I mean, what elf doesn't have a minor ego complex? <laughs> um, but to further accentuate just how good like their bond actually became, like Snorri and Malekith would actually travel between each other's colonies to assist. So like let's say you're an elven colony, like you're an elven colonist that's being attacked by greenskins. You will have like 
basically a cavalry charge of dwarf of elves coming in on horseback on and like charging a bunch of greenskins, only to then see dwarves come in with literally cannons. Like I literally mean cannons and awesome. just opening fire. So these guys are bonding. Like they're they're meeting each other. They're they're basically meeting each other's family. <laughs> and to to basically epitomize once their campaign of recon of reconquering the reconquering their region was fulfilled, they actually exchanged gifts. And these gifts are honestly kind of stupid, I'm gonna be honest. I think they are anyway. Um <laughs> Snorri gifted Malekith um horse armor, like armor for his horse that was made from metal that was basically unbreakable. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah, what's yeah. not to like about that? Um I I think it's stupid that it's horse armor because Malekith doesn't use a horse after like after this period. <laughs> sure, okay, there. Yeah. That's why I think it's stupid because it's literally just like, "Oh, uh here's here's armor for your companion." But your companion, you're never gonna you you're gonna literally gonna have your companion carry all your cheese wheels, and that's all they're gonna do. <laughs> that that's that's what I don't like about it because it's literally just like here's the finest horse armor, and it's like oh cool, the thought that counts. Yeah, well, of course. That's, that's, um, and then Malekith gifts this one. This one I I like a lot more than the horse armor. Malekith gifts Snorri a um a chalice. But the chalice is not only is it elven crafted, which is, you know, the most artistic, most beautiful, most extravagantly well-designed, you know, goblets, the most extreme, like beautiful chalice ever designed. But it's made out of um, basically Warhammer version, Warhammer Fantasy's version of like mithril or adamantium. What do they call that substance? Um, fuck. What the fuck is it called? It's like, to, it's some kind of like made up fantasy metal bullshit i can look it up fast but i'll look it up right now all right so made up fantasy bullshit is what we're going to call for the rest of this episode everyone it has henceforth been dubbed fantasy bullshit metal (laughs) (laughs) fbm um from like my quick search it's called grom 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 g-r-o-m-r-i-l it's also called yeah Meteoric, iron, star metal, silver stone, silver steel, or hammer knot armor. Hmm. All those the sound way you know. cooler than Gromil, I'm just saying. Exactly. Gromil. <laughs> cool. Again, I want you to imagine this. All right, your buddy just gave you horse armor, and you give him a fucking goblet made out of, like, Wolverine's bones. Like, <laughs> you see what I mean? These gifts are, like, both stupid, <laughs> and, like, they're just too extreme. <laughs> But it's Warhammer, so it's it's it all evens out. Well, it's what do you? I guess it's the con. I guess it's what do you give the person who has everything? That's a good question. Compliments. <laughs> the gift I that mean, keeps on saying, giving. Yeah, I'm just saying, as a man, when someone says, "Hey, you're, you look kind of nice today," that honestly, like, that last that'll last five years for sure, for sure. Yeah, they'll, they'll they'll like keep they'll keep they'll keep those thoughts away for a good five years. <laughs> 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 Even with said ironically, oh, um, so you get you guys getting the picture? These guys are bros, <laughs> bromance. Yeah, I'm getting yeah. that. Would you believe me if I said they got even more bro bromancy? Um, bang, 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 so, bang. <laughs> remember, I said Snorri Whitebeard was a old dwarf. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. Well, he died. Oh, just, 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 he died. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. Fuck. <laughs> pour, pour one out for my homie. Fuck. Ah, I'll drink to that. He, 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 he doesn't even die in death. He, like, he doesn't even, <laughs> wow, he doesn't even die in death. Wow, I'm fucking he doesn't die death. in. <laughs> so he made the <laughs> deal with Nick Ash. <laughs> Holy fuck. He, he doesn't die in battle. Like, he, he is the only dwarf to die of old age. That's, that's actually pretty awesome, if you think about it. But that not only the that, ultimate flex, the ultimate flex, dying of old age. But here's the th- well, in Warhammer, I guess it makes sense. But here's the thing, though, <laughs> when he dies, Malekith is actually there at his deathbed, and he actually has to like fight through dwarves, like dwarven guards, to get to his friend. Like an elf should not be in the dwar in the like the dwarven high king's like palace let alone in his own chambers and malekith literally has to force his way through all the guards to be at his best friend's deathbed and because his best friend is dying he can't just like oh let my elven friend through <laughs> you know he can't exactly say that he's dying. on that horse with the unbreakable armor and just yeah, his way through <laughs> Uh, yes, I love a I love a war, I love a war crime. <laughs> but I like when I say he was fighting through, I don't want to, I don't want to say that he was like killing. It was very much kind of yeah, like yeah, it was very much like out of the way. I want to see him, and yeah. when Snorri sees him, he smiles because it's after seeing Malekith, he kind of smiles, and that's when he dies. And it's kind of implied that he was holding on be- to see his friend before actually dying. That kind of tugs at the heartstrings a little bit. Yeah. I thought this was Warhammer, not a bunch of... Well, it's Warhammer. <laughs> yeah. And as Summary's dying, Malekith kneels before him, takes his friend's hand, and promises like promises to him that as long as Malekith is alive, the dwarves and the elves will always remain friends, and they will always keep, they will always keep the peace between each other. <laughs> um, I'm getting a bad feeling about this. Why do I hear Boston music? <laughs> we went. So what I'm getting is sad feelings, and then a really bad death flag going on in my head. <laughs> mm. So you know things happen, but Malekith actually being very—I don't want to say depressed, but very like hurt by this event. Actually, like at this point, he's still traveling around the world. He's still doing his own thing. He's, he hasn't returned to to Uthwan yet. And during his event, he actually travels to the east, to the far east, because it's the only place he hasn't been yet. And his, and he's kind of just like, you know what? I have nowhere else to go. I'll just go here because I kind of want to get away from everything. I kind of want to get away from the familiar because it just brings back memories. And as he's traveling there, he actually finds a an ancient city of the uh, Lizardmen, like a Lizardmen city. And if you guys remember what happens to someone who visits a Lizardmen city that's in ruins... <laughs> Hmm. Oh. Now, if the lizard men go missing, what do you think a depressed elven prince? What do you think is gonna happen to a, no, a depressed elven prince when he steps into a lizardman city? Forget getting milk. He's probably gonna be getting the hard stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so when he enters the city, it's actually completely abandoned. Like it is. There is no one there, no signs of life, like for anyone. Like it's almost like the city was built from from ghosts. Ooh. Yeah, it's fucking wild. 
And while he's kind of examining it, he finds like nothing. Like there's no treasure, there's no evidence, there's nothing. And he's kind of like almost disappointed, but also like, it's not so much like, oh, I wanted treasure, but it's more like I was expecting more from this city. Like it almost like screams, there should be more here. Why is there nothing here? I'm disappointed. Yes. Until he finds a single iron crown, effectively an iron circuit. And I've played enough RPGs to know that if you walk into a town, you don't fucking pick up anything or put on any items. Malekith clearly has not played enough RPGs to learn this lesson. <laughs> what RPGs are you playing? Because I do the, that exact shit all the time. <laughs> a new hand touches the beacon. I just give everyone PTSD listening to this who's played Skyrim. I picked that up last night, and I got mad at myself <laughs> for picking it up. So, guys, let's take a guess, all right? Show of hands. What is this? What does this Iron Crown do? I'm not sure how to respond to this by a show of hands, but uh, my hands are out of clap. I'm clapping. I'm clapping. See, that's the <laughs> joke. What happens. I was hoping someone was going to get the joke. You have to explain the joke. It's not a joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Marky, Marky, go first. What does this crown do? I think it turns him into a benevolent ruler. <laughs> All right. Gerald, what does this crown do? I think the exact opposite. All right. Slappy, what does this crown do? Break our tie, I please. I agree with Gerald. Yes. All right. So this crown, it gives him ADHD. We were all wrong. <laughs> it, it literally says that in the codex, like the worst fucking GW writing ever. <laughs> so he picked up yeah, this I'm... fucking crown. It was kind of red and tarnished. And yeah, he put it on his fucking brow. And now he's got ADHD. Third worst edition codex. writing ever. <laughs> Basically, it removes, his, it removes his like inhibitions. Because as someone who knows several people with ADHD... You do not think of things through when you have ADHD. You kind of just do things. <laughs> so basically it makes it so he doesn't think things through. Like you basically, he basically just acts on impulse now. So, Oh, there's and, no way uh, this should, could I, have any bad consequences later on in the no, future. <laughs> I should mention it isn't like, it isn't instantaneous. It's very much like a Fulgrim situation where like, oh, like, oh, I sh- normally I would say, that that woman looks kind of attractive, or normally I would say he's attractive. But my first thought is always, dang, look at that rack. I think I'm going to say that this time instead of thinking things through. <laughs> you know, it starts off as, you know, small little, you say things instead of thinking them through. But over time, it starts to gradually start to become, oh, this guy hit me. I want to fucking punch him back kind of thing. It, you know, it, it's, it scales up a little bit. Um now, it's at this point that Malekith start, does actually act on one of these impulses. And that impulse is, I want to go home. I miss home. That's his first instinct. That's his first impulse. It isn't, oh, I'm going to take over. It's, I want to go home. Well, by, that, and, by itself, that doesn't seem like a bad instinct to have. Yeah, that's the, that's the worst part. That's why hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> We do not talk about that year. <laughs> That's actually a good point. That 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 year did not exist. What year? We all have collective PTSD. Okay, yes, Mister Inquisitor, this one right here. Seize him. <laughs> <laughs> so Mal Malekith does do that. He actually travels back home. He travels back to Uthwan with the full intentions of returning home to see his people. And 
the thing about Uthwan is that in the time that he was gone, Malekith had been hearing reports of, of like, what's going on with Uthwan, but he never, like, gave him any heed, because, like, none of them were really bad. It was kind of just, like, the current, like, the current Phoenix king of Uthwan, who ruled since Malekith was gone, he wasn't a bad king by any means. Like, he wasn't a bad king. He was very, like, I don't even want to say distant. He was kind of just, but... like, yeah, he, like, Okay, who's seen House of the Dragon? Who's seen House of the Dragon? Of course. He's very much King... Yeah, he's he's very much like King Viserys, where he doesn't make decisions. He kind of just lets things happen on their own. And he doesn't, like, stop things, because he kind of just... Like I said, he... he, I don't want to say he was a bad king, because he he kept... Like, there was peace, there was no violence, but it was very much like, oh, I'm not going to, like, put my foot down, because, like, Everything's kind of chill. Everyone's kind of getting along. So I don't need to like put my foot down. I don't need to like make any hard decisions. Everything's kind of chill. And if there's ever any violence, like Malekith is doing all that. Like Malekith is fighting off the continent, fighting like any battles that need to be fought. So if there is any war needs to be fought, Malekith's doing the hard lifting of actually fighting. He's just ruling. And even then he's, he's ruling distantly. But Malekith never considered these as like, anything bad like oh he's being a distant king that means i'm doing a good job like there there must be peace and if he's being distant he there's no reason he shouldn't be involved in ruling the kingdom unless things are going so smoothly that he can just afford to be distant Hmm. which i think is a good reason to have except that's not at all what was going on (laughs) of course of course because when malekith returned to uthuan he was horrified to find that the um, the entire kingdom, I don't want to say entire kingdom, basically pleasure cults to Slanesh had started to prop up all across the, uh, the continent. Ah, knew it. And these cults were as small as like a hovel of like the lowest, pe- the lowest like common elves to like the high echelons of the ruling council and princes. Like they were, they were, stretched all across it from every single like class, every single geography place everywhere. There were cults to Slanesh that were kind of like propping up. Now, I know we talked about this in the last episode. What is the, I guess, what is the elf relationship to Slanesh in fantasy versus 40K? Well, 40K, for those that don't know, the Eldar, aka Space Elves, basically did these pleasure cults to the point of birthing Slanesh. So... How does, I guess, how to, and, and as such, they are all, all of them eternally doomed to go to Slanesh upon death. So how does that work, I guess, in fantasy? In fantasy, Slanesh already existed before the elves were made, um, which also gives, like, credence to the theory that, you know, the El- that um, the old ones brought Eldar to the old world to make, like, that's the reason why. But besides that, um... The elves don't actually go to Slanesh. Slanesh has a preference for them, but they are not doomed to Slanesh. So it's very so, so it's oh go ahead. Early in the episode, we were talking about all the demons and stuff that were being flooded into the material world. Uh, so these demons were, you know, we could assume that they could be some Slanesh demons, some Corin demons, some Nurgle demons, some Jinx demons, kind of the whole variety, not just like nameless, faceless. Yeah, exactly. Deep, formless. 
So, like, all the Chaos Gods are present in fantasy, and they have existed before the fantasy world was created. Um, so, Malekith returns to this, and he's kind of, like, distraught by this. He's like, why are there so many of these cults? And he obviously brings it to the Phoenix King. And the Phoenix King's response, like, it isn't, like, it isn't that he doesn't care, but it's very much, like, oh, it's just a little fun here and there. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to, like, involve myself in, the, in, like, the day-to-day activities of the people. They're doing their thing. I'm not going to step on their toes they're they're enjoying themselves who am i to say stop having fun kind of thing Hmm. which i don't agree with because you know demons invaded before and one of those demon king one of the chaos gods was a god of pleasure and excess and right now the elves are having a hell of a lot of pleasure and excess Hmm. i'm just saying this tisk now malekith at this point is kind of irritated he wasn't angry but he's irritated and because that little ring circlet crown bullshit was causing him to act on impulse his first impulse was okay fine if you're not going to do anything i will do it myself and he decides to take it into his own hands and taking his most loyal like soldiers and guards to begin rounding up every single one of these pleasure cults and either putting them to flame or arresting anyone who's part of them so it was either you're gonna burn or you're gonna get arrested they did not have such thing as horny jail did they (laughs) was uh malakath aware of the crown's effects at this point he was not okay yeah to his knowledge he was kind of to his not to his knowledge it was more just like he was more just acting more on impulse but it was never like oh it must be this crown no it was kind of just like it yeah, was yeah. so subtle that you kind of just assume they're your own thoughts, that you just haven't been acting, that, you know, you just yeah. recently started acting more on impulse. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, and I should mention, he does a fucking fantastic job. Like, he does a fantastic job trying to avoid, like, killing. Like, his goal is, like, you know what? I just want to arrest them. I don't want to have to kill unless I perfectly have to. And he actually stops every single pleasure cult. Including like the most, including the most prominent one, but it's when he stops the most prominent one, they discovers the person in charge of these pleasure cults, and that's his mother, Marathi. Oh, mom, you whore! <laughs> oh, you whore! Wait, wait a second. <laughs> what the deuce? I feel conflicted. <laughs> so. He ends up get he ends up getting he ends up arresting everyone, including Marathi, who's his mother. And this actually earns him like a shit ton of favor. Like you would think your mother being in charge of like a pleasure cult would like make you look bad. But the fact, but because he arrested his mother, it was kind of like, oh, even his own family isn't safe from him. He's bringing justice, and anyone who does wrong, even your own family, he's willing to arrest, kind of thing. That's like a Stannis Baratheon levels of morality there. Yeah, it's fucking insane. Like again, he's so cool. Damn, it's it ain't no Joe Biden levels up I can tell you. What was that slap? <laughs> Stannis Baratheon and Batman. <laughs> what are you here for? <laughs> Justice. <laughs> when do we want it? Now. <laughs> How do we want it? <laughs> Please, not the not the face. Violently. <laughs> I believe the words are: "I don't have to save you." <laughs> Swear to me! Um, but the thing is, though, is that because he's, again, driven by impulse, 
he is actually he ends up actually visiting his mother in prison like several times to kind of like I don't want like interrogate her, but also kind of understand her because again that's his mother, and he wants to know why did you resort to like forming pleasure cults and bullshit? Why did you do this kind of thing? You know, or <laughs> look when your father disappeared. I had a large hole that needed to be filled. No, I was hoping you would say that. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God. She filled it all right. <laughs> With several elves at once. Mm. <laughs> oh. Oh. But give me one second, okay? I have to step away for just uh, maybe a minute and a half, okay? Please stand by. So, yes, and um, our boy Malekith is visiting his mother. He does this, like, continuously. And, the re- again, like I say, the reason he does this is because, one, he's driven by his, by his impulse to see his mother because he does care for her. Even if she, again, wasn't a great mother, she was kind of, again, grooming him to be a king. He continues to visit her, continuously visiting her prison to interrogate her. But these interrogation sessions were more akin to, like, Mom, why the fuck did you fuck all those people? <laughs> Why did you do so? Much? Why did you start these pleasure cults? And her response was always kind of like half-assed. It was never fully explained, but it was always kind of driven to a sense of almost guilt tripping. Almost like it was very much a, a gaslighting kind of. Oh, I did this because you left. Oh, I did this because I felt hollow because you were gone. It was always very much twisting kind of sense of like because you were gone, no one cared about me. It was you know standard motherly manipulation. All right, mommy dearest. <laughs> that and, makes me worry for my mom. Like, I left Canada, so now do I have to worry about my mom starting up some pleasure cults when I'm gone? She misses me so much. Well, you ain't going back <laughs> to Canada anytime soon, so what do you have to worry about? Ah, okay, yeah, good point. Not my fucking problem. <laughs> Here's the worst. So, hang on. What I'm hearing is Mark and Malekith are the same character, the same person. <gasps> it's known- all connected. to be... Uh... Not have the best impulse control for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you cracked the case, Rayway. Good job. <laughs> I just make jokes. <laughs> uh. So while this is going on, Malachi is discussing his mom. She does like every single every single one of these interrogation sessions. She like kind of slips in a little bit of her own kind of twisted mentality. And the problem is that because Malekith is already kind of already irritated with the status quo and he has very bad impulse control and he's been gone for so long, all these factors, all these positive factors are almost like being twisted on themselves because of Marathi's like twisting of his own mentality of, oh, well, if you weren't gone, this wouldn't have happened. If you didn't, if you would have became king, you would have, you could like, you saw the pleasure cults in, um, in just a short period of time. Imagine if you were still here. Imagine what you could have accomplished if you were king. You just back. You were only back for a little while, and you already put a stop to everything that I had accomplished over decades. You know, it was been, it was both. It was stroking his ego. It was manipulating him. It was gaslighting him, guilt tripping him. It was so many different factors that, on top of his own kind of irritation and very, very poor impulse control, that drove him to actually begin to agree with her, mm. and. Eventually, his interrogation started becoming almost education because Marathi, while she was a leader of pressure cult, she was also an incredibly powerful sorceress. And these two factors actually led to her 
become an incredibly powerful chaos sorcerer and a practitioner of dark magic, which is basically the most corrupted and evil form of magic available to anyone. Mm. And she started to teach Malekith these things. But in Malekith's mind, because he is, again, I said this before, the hero of his own story, he sees the learning of these dark, dark practices as excusable because it's almost like, oh, if I learn this, I can know how to better defeat my enemy. I can know how to better protect my people. I know how to better lead my people. I, I can't just learn the good side. I must be aware of what's evil in order to better understand my people. It was very much factor of, you know, you're doing some really bad stuff. You're learning some really problematic ideologies and really problematic spells, but he's doing his best to kind of lampshade it to himself. <laughs> trying to justify it yeah yeah okay quit to not to derail this but like when he wore the or i guess when he first put on the iron crown one that that sets that sets off his or you know messes up his impulse control does he just does he just never take it off um it's he does take it off to like you know do his general things like you know shower and you know go to sleep but it's very much a concept of it's almost like you instinctually want to put it back on. Yeah, like, uh, I so, feel like it's very much like the ring from Lord of the Rings, where it's like, I was just gonna say, even yeah. if you're not wearing it, it's still whispering in your ear. Okay. Yeah. And there's only the fact of like, even if it's off, you still have that. It's also the fact of like, oh, you get used to the mentality of not like, you get used to not having an impulse control that eventually, even if you're not wearing it, you still act on impulse. So like kind of like how all... Gollum turns into what Gollum becomes after 500 years, even though he's missing the ring, like that yeah. whole time. Yeah, yeah, it still lingers on you, and you still get and you get used to that. You get used to that lifestyle, even if you, like, even if you remove it. But yeah, plus like you have to imagine he's wearing like him wearing him wearing this crown is also cause is also like stroking his ego unconsciously, which means that he's going to want to wear the crown more too. Like. To flex his status and authority um but as a byproduct of you know him learning all this stuff and becoming corrupted one of the thoughts in his head as a result of all this is i could be a better phoenix king than the current one so he ends up traveling to the phoenix king who again trusts him because you know oh malchus been doing all this bullshit he's been fucking flooring everyone he's reunited all of the colonies then he comes back and puts a stop to all this like crime and indecency. Oh, he's fucking amazing. Which I think, you know, the Phoenix King should have put two into the gear that maybe he should have been responsible for all that stuff. But, you know, it's just <laughs> me. <laughs> um, and Malika comes in and again, the, the, the Phoenix King trusts him like implicitly like, oh, you are you're the best we have. You're the son of Anarian. You, you're, you're the prince of everything. And Malika presents something to him he challenges the phoenix king and tells him that you were not the phoenix king my mother has told me the truth that you are a practitioner of the chaos cult as well you are the one in charge of everything and what happens after is unknown because all that is known is the phoenix king's bodyguards enter the chamber and find the phoenix king um having been poisoned like he drank from a goblet and was poisoned. But isn't and Malika tells the guards that being fearful of being caught, that the Phoenix King took his own life by drinking poison. But 
almost anyone can kind of get the idea that, you know, I think Malekith might have smuggled in some poison. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm allergic to bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, it's left open-ended. Maybe Malekith didn't do anything. Maybe you know, he's just an alright stand-up guy. The Phineas King was on that side of the room, okay? Malekith's on this side <laughs> of the room. You can't prove anything. <laughs> Guilty until proven innocent. Wait, what? <laughs> uh, you see, now I'm on the viewpoint that Malkit did nothing wrong. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, it, that's, that's starting fucking to sound close Malkit. to someone else that did, that you think did nothing wrong. <laughs> no, Malkit fucking killed that guy. I'm not gonna fucking pretend anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to myself about this. <laughs> like. Malekith has ever, there's no way Malekith did not poison him. And the worst part is that GW writes it as, oh, no one knows. Only Malekith knows. Only Malekith knows what happened in that chamber. But like. <laughs> <laughs> Bad writing yeah, for, like he uh, actually did. Seems like he poisoned the dude. But <laughs> did he? Only Malekith knows. It's like, no, it, it, it legitimately looks like he poisoned the dude and then ran on the other side of the room to make it look like he didn't do anything. No, the Phoenix King poured the poison out of his own ass and just chugged it. <laughs> why, would the, why would the king have poison inside of his own chalice that he drinks from? Who knows? Maybe he gets <laughs> off on it. Celestial cult. All right, three drops of aconite for my new latest poison high, and oh shit, that's five. Malekith, <laughs> <laughs> I point the finger at you. <laughs> he was pointing his finger and screaming, "It was Malekith!" Clearly, Malekith <laughs> must clearly poison himself. Uh, now, clearly, this would cut. This would immediately make people assume Malekith is, you know, the perpetrator. But the thing is. Malekith was kind of a better king off the throne than the king actually was on the throne. <laughs> like, given everything I've said, you kind of you kind of got to see the point that Malekith was doing more for the elves than even the Phoenix King was. It's kind of like how Tywin Lannister was, like, freaking boss at his job, even though he was never king himself. Yeah, exactly. And that actually meant... And because there were a lot of people who, again, even before Malekith left wanted him to be king, even though this was very clearly an act of treason, there were some who were willing to almost turn a blind eye, almost see it as an um, the true king coming home kind of thing. And even if the lie was very clearly fabricated, they, a lot of people were willing to play along with the lie because among the guards that came into the room and seen this, while most of them did, did you know, Hey, let's fucking stop Malekith. Some of the guards actually turned on their fellow on their fellow like guardsmen and stabbed them in the back with spears. And a number of other supporters from across from across the kingdom, hearing this news, actually rose up in support of Malekith and actually killed nearly all of the council members in charge of ruling the kingdom alongside the the Phoenix King. This really is like House of the Dragon, House (laughs) of the Elves. Now, not all of the council members died. But all the ones that were in support of Malekith, they fucking got off scot-free. Those that didn't, well, most of them were killed. And this immediately led to a civil war between the elves and uh, and themselves. <laughs> because we can't have good things. 
Uh, roll number one of Warhammer. Both settings. <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> because it's because it's Warhammer. Mm-hmm. Um, now, because this is happening, you would think that because the alliance between the dwarves and the elves, the dwarves will get involved. Uh, the problem is the yell, the dwarves kind of can't. <laughs> Because if they get involved, they would actually, they would, like, if they defend, if they, you know, protect the status quo, they should go against Malekith. But because Malekith literally was at the deathbed of their high, of their former high king, they can't exactly go against Malekith. But given Malekith's current very fast downward spiral, they can't exactly go with Malekith either because, you know. So, rock hard place, meet the dwarves. <laughs> yeah. So as a result, they kind of brush their hands and let the elves have their thing. It was very much a look. You guys figure out who's in charge, and we'll we'll continue our alliance with whoever's left in charge. <laughs> <laughs> Which I honestly think is the best option because you don't all want to be inside this clusterfuck of a political no. like maelstrom. <laughs> nope, and that's actually that's actually sounds like a very intelligent answer to that. Yep. Now, Malekith, again, being driven a little insane by everything that's going on, as well as his own ego trip and the fucking crown, um, decides that the best way to end a civil war, because, again, <laughs> as if killing the king and all of his supporting council members and making sure the only people who are loyal to you survive wasn't bad enough, he's like, you know what? I will stop this from getting any worse. I will do the best thing possible. And he decides to do a little public display. Now, Gerald, do you remember how the last Phoenix King was chosen? What he did to become the Phoenix, the first Phoenix King? Uh, he pulled the sword from the stone. Metaphorically. Uh, incorrect. What did he do before he pulled the, so the sword from the stone? Um, he beseeched the... Uh, sorry, I forgot his name. Um, I'm sorry, I was drinking too much ale when that, when that lesson was going on. <laughs> <laughs> He was trying to beseech Assyrian, the Phoenix King, the original Phoenix King. Like the, ah, I, the, it was on the tip of my tongue, dang it. Yes. He, um, the original Phoenix King, Anarian, tried to speak with all the gods, including Assyrian, the king of the gods, who's the Phoenix King. And when he didn't get an answer, he decided to step into the flames of Assyrian, which is a massive like plume of fire. Which is oh, yeah, that releases his true form. Yes, it burns away everything except your truest self. And Malekith <laughs> decides, you know what? I'm going to walk into that flame. And when I come out unburned and I have my true self, everyone will see me for who I am, the true Phoenix King. Because This if isn't even who, my final form. <laughs> yes, because if someone who is unworthy steps into the flames, everything they are will burn up. Like, they, like there will be no true self there. Like, basically, if you aren't true to yourself, everything burns up. You will just die. Mm. But if you step in and walk out unscathed, then you're you're deemed worthy by Assyrian. Malekith was very much not worthy. If that wasn't obvious enough. Oh, <laughs> oh no! Why wasn't he worthy? Um, well, should we go back uh, 20, uh, 10, 15 minutes and go through a list of everything that says that he was very much not worthy? <laughs> Now I'll take your word for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As I play the rewind button. 
<laughs> so as Malekith steps into the flames, you know, it is very much a I am so drunk that anything I say will happen will work. Because he just kind of like he's he's he calmly struts into the flames while the city around him is like in civil war in an attempt to kind of display himself in like all his glory. And the moment <laughs> he steps into the flames, there's a moment of like there's nothing happening. You're he is like unscathed. Like the moment his full body is into him in the fire, nothing happens. He's unscathed. It's burning him, but he's not feeling any pain. And then all of the pain happens as he's immediately engulfed in flames as his flesh is like burning away, burning him alive. <laughs> you are the chosen one, Malekith. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is though, Malekith doesn't die. Like he doesn't die. But he doesn't emerge unscathed either. He's the only person ever to not be instantly bur- to not instantly be burned into nothing, but also not emerge unscathed. He literally has to be dragged out by his supporters, like his his loyal his guard who are there with him at this point. And when they pull him out, he's basically like he's basically Anakin Skywalker at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Good place to be. <laughs> yeah, good good place to be. Everyone loves being, you know, smelling like a hot dog. <laughs> Smells like feet wrapped in burnt leather bacon. <laughs> uh, luckily, um, Malekith is dragged away, and at this point, how many guards did it take to actually drag him out of that fire? Because I can just imagine, just like one tries to grab him, whoosh, he's done. Another one tries <laughs> to grab him, whoosh, whoosh, and it's just like a conga line of just like, nope, they all burst into flames, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Well, basically, Malekith is burning. He's like, "Oh fuck, I need to get out of here." And he's kind of like, and he's he's making his way out. And eventually, like when he gets out, while he's like half out, then his guards pull him out. No. He wasn't like, "Let's put our hands into the flames of the god of all gods." <laughs> he's like, "Oh, Malekith, we're gonna save you!" Oh my god, what happened to you? Get back in there! Get back in there! <laughs> yeah. um, maybe he just needs five more minutes on uh, broil. Uh, yes, uh, timer's yeah. not ready. Just still medium rare. <laughs> <laughs> um, but because the entire city was, you know, engulfed in Civil War, uh, you know, shit's not going great. Um, because of this, his mother actually ends up escaping. Well, she doesn't escape. She's freed because, you know, Marathi is his mother. She needs to be saved. And she ends up finding Malekith, who's, you know, not exactly in his best state. He got, uh, he got, he got fifth degree burns. <laughs> Um, she decides, well, she doesn't decide, she kind of is forced to do it. She ends up using magic as well as a bunch of other, um, a bunch of other like elven like manufacturers and like forges to actually build him a special like armor that's made of the same, what is it called, like Grungill or whatever it's called, that unbreakable armor. And she forges mm-hmm. basically a suit of armor that kind of like basically it becomes the uh, man in the iron mask kind of concept where like you, it touches his skin. And it holds them together, but it actually like melds the flesh to his armor. So basically, Elf Vader. Yeah, but here's a fun fact though: in the flames, the crown actually burns away. So Malakit is no longer limited by his inib- is no longer driven by impulse. But he he he's bur- he's he has fifth degree burns. <laughs> More like you win some, you lose some. You know, pros and cons <laughs> well, to everything. Yeah, it's Although a trade off. I should mention though, when he comes out of the flames, he does come out stronger, <laughs> which is the weird thing. Because again, like I said, Malka is the only person who gets the in between of not being burned to a crisp, but also not coming out unscathed. But he does come out stronger. <laughs> we can rebuild him. 
we have the technology, but we don't want to spend a lot of money. <laughs> We're not barbarians. We have technology. <laughs> uh, Malekith, having been resurrect- effectively resurrected by his mother, uh, decides, okay, well, this civil war is going to go great. I'm going to lead the charge because I have unbreakable armor now. And it doesn't Was go that great. armor repurposed from the horse armor that he apparently never used like after the whole thing with Snorri? God, I hope so. That would make it way more interesting. <laughs> that would make it so much more poetic if they if that if that's how they did it. To my knowledge, it's never to my knowledge, it's never say which is um at this point I didn't do enough research on where the armor came from, aside from the fact that his mother put it on him. Mm, okay, headcanon it is then. Oh god, I hope it's the horse armor. Then that horse armor would actually be useful. <laughs> exactly. So Malekith being basically wannabe wannabe Darth Vader decides, okay, well, very clearly I'm not the Phoenix King. So no one else is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he decides, um, remember that magic vortex I mentioned that keeps demons from invading the world? Yes. Uh, Malik is gonna, you know, um, not make it a thing anymore. <laughs> oh, so do you see that that demon trap portal there? Yes, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> now this is this is where it kind of gets worse, though, because his supporters didn't realize how driven he became. Because again, this flame it burns you away till it's your true self. Malik is apparently crispy hot dog is true form. But, again, because the crown removed his impulse control, those impulses were still technically his truest form of, of himself. So even though he wasn't driven by impulse, he was much more in tune with himself than he ever had been before, even with the crown. And that isn't to say that Marathi's manipulation didn't do anything to him, but it was very much almost like he was aware of her manipulation and did as much good as possible to compensate for her manipulation. But this was... It was basically you're trying to fight against your true nature, which is what she wanted him to become, which I don't like because it pisses me off because it means that he wasn't actually a good person. <laughs> mm. Sad. I am, as you were mentioned, uh, bringing all that up, I am sending all of you fine folk a oh, fan cool art of Malekith. And he definitely looks like a Darth Vader clone. <laughs> yeah, the oh, black yeah. armor. Yeah, he looks dope as fuck. Oh yeah, too uh, bad you can't see his his really cooked charcoal skinness. <laughs> oh, give me a few minutes. I'll, I'll probably see if I can find something. <laughs> oh, also, he does use the force. He like his magic. He can like stop people with it. Ooh, so, does he? Does he force choke out a fool? Um, I mean, he probably force chokes his mom. <laughs> he forces um, poison out. Down people's throats. I know that. <laughs> I actually have a joke about Malekith. Malekith is just like Anakin Skywalker. Anakin Skywalker had had a hard relationship with his mother, his mentor, and his lover. The problem for Malekith is all is his his mother was all three. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> like that. Oh, a family tree more ancestors than the fucking Lannisters. <laughs> why, why is it just a circle <laughs> when they said gene pool I don't think I don't think this is what they meant 
<laughs> they said they sometimes they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Well, damn, and no, sometimes it doesn't even leave the pond. <laughs> uh, so Malekith leading his supporters, who again did not realize the actual full extent of his goal, which was again to stop the magic vortex that keeps demons from invading. So, like, these people were charging headlong into like their brothers and sisters, believing that they were going to put their rightful heir on the throne. Now realizing that the rightful heir had already been rejected by the gods themselves and had full intention of literally dooming all of all of the world, not just the elves, but all of the world back to a second great, great, great catastrophe. And how he does this is by disrupting the ritual that the 12 greatest mages of all of elven society um, had done to basically summon this massive vortex that traps magic in it. Like basically because the old one's temples were destroyed, magic kind of just flooded out of the eye, the two eyes of terror at the North and South pole. Um, this vortex basically siphons all the magic into one location and basically like stabilizes it. Not perfectly, but you know, more or less Malekith fucks up that ritual. And because he does that, um, demons start invading again and it allows chaos to um, return to the world. But here's a fun fact. Those 12 sorcerers, they didn't die because the warp is like an ocean and time doesn't exist in the ocean, <laughs> as we all know. Yes. Yeah, that's that's copyright infringement right there. You'll be hearing prayers <laughs> on that one. It's okay, we'll take sorry, it out sorry. in post. <laughs> sorry, the, war- the, warp, the warp is like a pond. A you can use liquid it surface that encompasses the entire planet. <laughs> that is almost ocean-like in nature. Lily distinct (laughs) Um, because of its very fickle nature every single one of these 12 sorcerers does not age even though it's been you know over a thousand years since since they performed this spell and yeah elves live a long time but they're still going to suffer the effects of aging none of these none of these sorcerers have aged even a second beyond beyond when they started this ritual like they are frozen in time but fully aware of everything that's going on and because Malekith basically freed them, they immediately were like, what the fuck? Okay, that's it. Back to the ritual, guys. <laughs> but the problem is, though, is that for the brief moment where Malekith did disrupt the ritual and Chaos was able to invade it again, demons from, from the northern cell pools were invading. But because the magic that was all being contained in the middle of the elven capital was suddenly released, it was basically like dropping a nuclear bomb in the middle of your country. <laughs> In the middle of your island country. Oof. Um, because remember how Uthwan is like a donut? Like the Atlantis is like a donut? Um, it didn't used to be a donut. It used to be a single solid landmass. It's now a donut because of what Malekith did. That's cool. <clears throat> so it was also cool. like bigger. It was also slightly like bigger. Like it was like wider. But the problem is that when what Malekith did, the, the entire like um, outlands, like the entire like shoreline basically sunk into like it broke apart and sunk into the ocean. And then the entire like middle of the continent basically also like submerged. So that's the reason why it's a donut shape. Cool. Yeah. So again, GW um, having their cake and eating it too of Atlantis. Yep. They wanted they wanted to sunk they wanted to Atlantis, but they also wanted to still be around. So, <laughs> so let's meet down the middle. We'll make it a donut. Yeah. Um, but here's actually where things get really cool because Malika, he didn't he failed, but he also kind of succeeded. He did more than Abaddon, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, realizing that he did not succeed, realized that he had no choice but to retreat. He didn't like it. He literally had to be like dragged away by his supporters, most of whom <laughs> were most of whom were as deranged as he was now because they, basically you're not going to support him any. You're not going to support him if you see him try to destroy the world. Anyone who was still loyal to him were either so like in, bashed insane that it was basically like you know what, whatever, we'll just join him. It's a lost cause for anyone, or they were like. They were they were cultists to Slanesh and Chaos in general, so it was like you know what, let's just join him anyway. You yeah. wanted us to win, yeah. Um, they had to like take him away, and because of a lot of the um, a lot of these supporters lived on the outskirts already because they were kind of exiled from societies for their extreme views and their pleasure cults. A lot of their kingdoms and castles were submerged into the oceans, but it's from these broken and ruined castles. That these that this that this um fringe cast of elves basically forged castle ships. Castle ships. Did I hear imagine, that? Imagine right? imagine a castle that floats on the ocean as a boat, like a battle barge. Sign me up. Fucking sweet. Yeah, yeah. they forged they they literally put their castles again and forged these like several like massive boats. And left and left uh, Uthwan on these boats again. Malkith again had to be forcibly dragged, basically, because <laughs> he, he want he was like, "No, I'm gonna fucking end everyone. I don't want to fucking do this anymore." And I want to die in glorious mortal combat. Yeah, um, and he and these ships ended up actually traveling to Negaroth, which is uh, Canada, which again had elven colonies on it. But the problem yeah, is these elven colonies. All the talk okay. about uh, ships made out of castles, and there's not one mention of them turning to pirates. Oh, they 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 turned to piracy. Oh, yeah. they, uh, excellent, excellent. I'm sorry, yeah, like these guys. Um, here's another thing, though, because they sank the sh- because they sank the shoreline where the fleet would be. The elves did not have a fleet capable of challenging Malekith, who had not only um, his own fleet now. Made of cat that was also incredibly fortified because it's fucking castles. So <laughs> glorious. Yep. I wonder uh, if he they... used any like uh, like warp magic or whatever to help him make floating rock fortresses. Um, it was ma- it was a mix of magic and just general engineering because they were like they they are basically boats. They sail on the ocean, but they're literally like cat like imagine a boat, but where but the bottom half is like riding on the ocean. The top half, where you know a normal boat would be, it's a fucking like blackstone castle. Metal. And again, these are and these are like massive. And they have cannons, they have fortresses, they have fucking like baileys. They have all like a castle on the ocean that moves. Nice. <laughs> Basically, imagine a mobile Alcatraz. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, and. Again, he they event they end up traveling to Negaroth, which is where the last where, where some uh, elven uh, elven colonies are. Um, these colonies were very quickly subjugated, and the population was enslaved, as you do, because it was it was it was almost like petty and like I don't I don't want to say pathetic, <laughs> but it it was almost kind of pathetic. Where it's like, okay, well we can't beat Uthwan, so we'll take all of our rage out on these elves. If anything, I've learned in these past three episodes. When it comes to Warhammer, everything is petty. Yeah. <laughs> you is petty, you is messy, and you is extra. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is where Malekith effectively sets up for most of the time, is that he, 
he is retreated to Negaroth where he is nursing his wounds and he is basically in charge of a pirate empire in Canada. Although I actually should note that over time, like Malekith has actually grown, I don't want to say regretful, but because he's become more like in tune with himself and like once the rage and the adrenaline of, you know, being almost burned to death has like subsided and he's given a moment to rest, he actually feels almost, I don't want to say sorrowful, but he does feel regretful for like his elves that like his, his dark elves now, as they become called for how far they've like regressed. Cause again, Malekith's instinct when he came back to Uthwan was to put a stop to the pleasure cults, meaning that his first instinct is to keep elves safe and secure, meaning that you realize once all the chips are down, once the adrenaline's gone, once the war is over, once he's done being manipulated, he's free of manipulation that to see that his, to see that his elves, that his people that he was leading are basically pirate raiders and worshippers to chaos. And it's almost like regretful almost. It's actually kind of cool. Like it does it does show some level of sympathy for himself and like regret for what he's become. So he really is like elf Darth Vader. Yeah. Like the best I put it is like imagine if the leader of the Jukari um like wish wanted the Jukari to go back to being El, like being standard Eldar. But, but couldn't. <laughs> yeah, funny. That would never happen. <laughs> exactly. Not Vic, but, at least. <laughs> yeah, that is like the best way to describe uh, how Malekith is. Is that he does he does not like how the Dark Elves have become. He doesn't want like. Okay, it's it's Hor it's fucking Horus. Why am I? Why are the people on my side like deranged and broken things? But the people I'd want on my side are the most noble. I am a master of broken monsters. Exactly. <laughs> I should also mention that it's heavily implied that he does um, he does study with his mother. Study? Yeah. Is that what uh, kids call it nowadays? Late um, night well, studying. It's, an, it's basically his mother is his teacher for dark magic because he studies under her because she's a master of dark magic. But, you know, they mm. they... They can only imply so much because, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the joke about um, his mother being his mentor, his mother and his lover all in one. <laughs> Stop making magic, guys. I'm getting white energy all over me. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that's that's what the Dark Elves, that's how the Dark Elves were made. That's how Malekith almost ended the world. Um, why Uthwan is now a donut shape. Um, it's also one of the reasons why the dwarves and the elves actually start to hate each other. Because while it is a smarter move politically, if your country just went through a civil war and you asked for help and no one helped you, it's France. It's French during the French Revolution when they asked America for help. <laughs> hey, America, can you help us? What's that? Um, what? No. So... <laughs> um, it's also something I actually really enjoy about Warhammer Fantasy because like I'm not sure if you guys picked up on it but a lot of it like yeah there's chaos involved but a lot of it does come down to just the races and like natural like political events and like events that aren't only chaos related I, like, I actually it's good that you bring that point up because I'm I'm really kind of liking this that it's like a lot of the failings and the the you know, as much as we've joked, this is why we can't have nice things. 
very little of it so far is oh it was like secretly chaos insidiously planting itself in our minds or whatnot it's just like our it's just like the human's own failings uh the elves own failings the dwarf being the dwarves being too stubborn and stout you know so on and so forth yes exactly it's very good point to make and i actually kind of like that about this yes because like i made a joke like i made a joke to you gerald yesterday i think it was that's like I almost forgot chaos exists in Warhammer Fantasy because, like, all the races have so many reasons to fight each other beyond chaos is there and chaos is manipulating them. That it, mm-hmm. it's so like in 40k, the Imperium fights everybody because they're xenocidal. That's not, that's not a, that's not a, it's it's not a bad reason because they're obviously like a religious extremist cult, but like that's all there is. Whereas in Warhammer Fantasy, the reason why they dwell, the dwarves and the elves fight. Well, there are several different reasons why they've come, why they dislike each other. That has eventually devolved and become. They now have an almost like race wide dislike between each other. Like right to the point that their first meeting was based on like friend. They were very much close friends to the point that the two empires literally traded with each other. And given where they end up, they actually end up hating each other and have had several wars between each other. I kind of like that explanation for like the elves versus dwarves argument more so than the one that was given by the Silmarillion, which was like an argument over some treasure, something, something that I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I haven't actually gotten to that point, but wasn't it the Silmarils? Weren't they arguing over the Silmarils? I want to say it was, uh, but someone more knowledgeable in uh, Lord of the Rings, <laughs> Mark, uh, please educate <laughs> us on that. Uh, yeah, I've never read a book before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all lies. I've never read a codex before. <laughs> yeah. You're asking the crazy island man if he's read a book before. <laughs> if you want to learn how to butcher some chickens, I'm your man. But if you want to learn about all this fanciful magic and whatnot, I don't know what to tell you. Well, I just yes, feel called it... out for my accent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we can depend on Mark for anything, it's he knows how to handle a cock. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. oh, yeah, no, very cool. I, I, like I said at the beginning, like I'm, I'm a Warhammer fantasy player, and it's, it's so cool how similar fantasy and 40k are, but also so very different. Like the idea that like all the chaos gods were around since the beginning, yet like. Yeah, they're not actively playing a role necessarily, you know. It, it's all very interesting how they've kind of tied it together and stuff. And even just like the Dark Eldar's fall in 40k, it, it's just straight up dark. There's no like redeeming qualities. There is no hero character where for the longest time this Malkadeth character was a hero, you know. He, he he went on the hero's journey all the way to the point of sacrificing himself and having to be reborn, you know. Uh, but unfortunately, it just didn't work out for him in the end, necessarily. Yes, yes. I believe um, there's a YouTuber I watch. I can't remember his name exactly. But he talks about um, the seven ways to write a morally gray character. And I think Mar- and Malekith, obviously, is a morally gray character every, every step of the way. But yeah. one of the steps he provides is um, a backwards world. And the concept is like, if you do good, you're treated poorly or your reward is poor. Your reward is like a bad one. Whereas if you do bad things, you're rewarded uh, like beneficially. 
And I think Malekith best fits that. He travels across the world, uniting the colonies, bringing everything together, and he is rewarded. But at the same time, he's also seen as, oh, you're the, you're the do you're the you're the errand boy. You do everything for me in a way. And when he finally comes back, when he finally acts on it, when he finally wants to do good to become a king, he is rewarded with being getting fifth degree burns. <laughs> <laughs> Does that uh, Phoenix Fire? Or I forgot what what it's actually called. The the thing that burnt him is that still around in like current yeah. fantasy times? Yeah, okay, every cool. single Phoenix King. Because you said it was like, it. yeah, yeah. Because you said it was like the power of a god or something like that. Can you just kind of reinstate what that was? Um, so the flame, it's a flame of Assyrian. So Assyrian okay, is yeah. one of, yeah, Assyrian is one of the gods of the Elven Pantheon. Um, he's also a god in 40k. Um, just like how Cain is a god in 40k, and he's also in fantasy. All the Elven gods are the same as they are in 40k as the Elder gods. Um, in, yeah, in Warhammer Fantasy, the Elven gods, um, disappeared. It's never stated how they disappeared. But when they did, they left parts of themselves behind. I think only one of the gods of the Elven gods is still around, and I think it's like the Isha equivalent. She's not the she's not called Isha; it's just a different name. Um, but otherwise, all the Elven gods have vanished, um, and they've all left some part of themselves behind. For Cain, yeah. he left his sword, and that sword, once it's drawn, awakens like a berserker, murderous rage in all the elves. Um, whereas the flame of Assyrian is almost like an aspect of himself. It's an aspect of his godhood. And because Assyrian is a phoenix king, this flame burns and he steps into it and burns them away until only their true self is for, is left. And if that person yeah. is, yeah, that person is like unworthy because they have no sense of self. They have no, they have no greater aspirations than to step into the flame. They will be burned into nothing. If they have, like you know, some great deeds, some good aspirations. They ha- they are good at heart. The flame will burn away everything except that truest self, which is the good. Yeah, but yeah. So the other question I had, like, is all magic then tied to the warp? Like, would this, this flame technically be like Asurion's like warp magic ability, like a spell he cast? Or I believe it's an aspect of his divinity, similar to like. Um... Okay, how do I put this? Um, you know how in 40k, the emperor is technically a god because he can do miracles? Sure. That's what I would see it as. It's basically an aspect of his own power because in Warhammer Fantasy, there are there's two types of magic. There's natural okay. magic, which the world, like the planet itself emulates, or not okay. emulates, like emits. It's kind of similar to like how the space will the the, the the spirit of Fenris, whatever the bullshit is. Like you know how space wolves say they can draw power from from Fenris from Fenris to use their spells. Yeah. Anyway, you actually deigned to bring that up. I'm proud of you. Well, <laughs> you gave it as a really good example, so I'm gonna steal it. <laughs> okay. But yeah, that's that's nature magic. It just permeates the world, and it's one of the explanations for why yeah. the planet so many apex predators <clears throat> starts. But then okay, you can that, have that is... magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are the two very distinct types of magic then. And like dark magic, most likely would fall under like warp magic, and yes, yeah, yeah, um, interesting, cool. Yes, for those who want more information on magic, feel free to look at our previous episode, <laughs> the old world and beyond. And beyond. Um, but um, yeah, magic. Uh, like if magic comes from the warp, 
um, people have to, basically any magic that comes from the warp comes from those uh, from the, the 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 two north po- from the two poles, and the magic yeah. kind of pours out, and then it goes to like that vortex eye of the storm shit that the elves have, and then yeah. what the elves do is they kind of stabilize it, and then it kind of like the magic kind of leaks out almost like currents, like uh like like currents of um wind, like wind currents, and each okay. one of these currents has a different like um elemental theme to it. But they're not like elements like oh fire, water, earth, air. There are those elements, but there's also like aspects. <laughs> yeah, there's also aspects of like existence. Like there's beasts. There's the, there's the wind of beasts, and so like mm-hmm. let's say you want to cast a spell from like the wind of be- like if you want to cast a spell, you basically are pulling energy from one of these eight winds. So like let's say I want to I want to cast from the wind of beasts. I can like turn into a werewolf basically. One of the winds is fire. I can throw fireballs. One of the winds is metal. So that's alchemy. If I want to use alchemy, which is like, you know, science and bullshit, I draw power from the wind of uh, of, of metal, which is alchemy. Cool. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that, that's a cool image in my mind of just like the the unseen rippling waves of energy that radiate the, the planet, you know, that people are kind of drawing down and tapping into and very cool. So instead yes, of it's thinking very... of like an ocean, think of it just like some currents and waves and air. <laughs> yeah. Yes, because then because if Warhammer 40k uses oceans for the warp analogy, fantasy uses wind analogies. Totally. I like yeah. that. Oh, Legally yeah. distinct, baby. <laughs> Legally distinct. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be talking to our lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Grim law legal. Hey Mark, wanna be our lawyer? <laughs> oh yeah, man, I'll get you guys sorted. My costs are extraordinary, but whatever. <laughs> we can pay in a crisp handshake. I'll accept. Hand delivered, of course, down to Panama. Exactly. Of course, of course. Now imagine this lawsuit in court. Now you see, <laughs> Mark. Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Now let's find discussion of Snorri and the dwarves and Malekith. Uh, as as awesome as that is, I am curious. Like, is uh, do they does any of this make any kind of an appearance in Age of Sigmar after the end times, or how does um, that all work out? Snorri, if we can just briefly touch up on that. Yeah, um, I believe Snorri become Snorri does reappear both in fantasy and in Age of Sigmar because of. Um, I believe I mentioned this to you as a joke. Um, the oaths, how oaths are actually magic. Yeah, the one um, that you forced me into. Yeah, <laughs> imagine um, oaths are kind of similar to like almost. The, okay, dwarves have a sim. Okay, I'm assuming this is a battle sword. The the dwarves oaths are very similar to Sisters of Battles um, power move. And what I mean by that is when Malekith makes the vow, makes the oath to Snorri that the elves and the dwarves will forever be friends. Spoiler alert. Hmm. Malekith broke that oath, and what this means is because of how powerful this oath was and how strong Snorri and Malekith's bond were, it loops back around to actually resurrecting Snorri as basically an avatar of oaths. <laughs> and he, he is, yeah, he becomes what is known as the White Dwarf, which is a a spiritual dwarf that is basically invisible, that's basically invincible, and he basically functions almost like a Saint Celestine or a Sanguinor. And whenever dwarves are about to fail, especially when it comes to like an oath to like hold a position or an oath to take a position, he will arrive to make sure they succeed at fulfilling that oath in combat. 
Cool. I wonder if the resurrected Snorri just pops back up in front of Malekith, like, dude, really? <laughs> Bro, what the fuck? <laughs> we were homeboys, man. What the fuck? You At had one job, one oath. But yeah. Like... <laughs> so, like, that's what it means. That Snorri's, um, like I said, Snorri's, uh, Snorri's oath was so powerful that it does do background to basically resurrect him as a ghost. And this is several hundred thousands of years after his death, which is, I think, fucking impressive. <laughs> that is yeah, very impressive. Wow. Any further questions? <laughs> I think I got my little list round right. there. I don't think uh, I have any. Um, I, I overindulged in elf, elven pipe weed, so I kind of uh. spaced out a couple <laughs> times, but <laughs> you got the gist of no, it. Don't worry. I got this wonderful substance I can perfectly sell you. It's called Warp Stone. <laughs> uh, make sure you take care of the st- that stuff off the back of your neck first. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I do have one question for Mark, though, since he is a... You said you were a player of the tabletop, right? Uh, like, I... I've played, I've never owned my own army, and I've definitely, like, been around people playing enough that I, I kind of know it, but... Alright, since neither myself nor Rayway, uh, neither of us really played the tabletop, and so we're just coming at this podcast from a lore perspective, what, is there anything that you can, that we can glean from, I guess, like, the tabletop side of things for fantasy? Like, how does it compare to 40k, and how does it compare to Age of Sigmar, and all that stuff, kind of, kind of before we wrap things up? I think one of the things I really liked about fantasy, and this was only in certain editions of fantasy, but uh, you would make formations and stuff. And movement was very important in that game where, you know, you set up your spear line and if it gets flanked, it's not good for you. Uh, so that made, made it really engaging where in 40K, um, yeah, it's like you, you just blob your 50 orcs into the 10 space marines. It doesn't really matter. Um, even if you've ever played GW's Lord of the Rings uh, miniature game, movement's incredibly important in that game. And, you know, you got to line up your spear support properly and you got to line up your bowmen behind people. Otherwise, you know, all that kind of issues are going to happen. But um, I think that was the coolest thing about fantasy for me was just how precise and how tactical you actually had to be with your movement phase. Cool. There's actually an important, uh, not important, there's actually an interesting um, notion that relates to that actually. Part of, um, I'm not sure if Mark can actually like give any credence to this, any confirmation. But one of the things I've seen for fantasy, the best way to like describe like the humans anyway, was someone took, um, the idea was what happens if you took regular humans from our modern day era and put them against demons and elves and monsters and all that bullshit? How would they use like technology available to them in those moments? Like, how would a cavalry charge function against? Uh, like a, a line of like orcs like it was this is one of the ways I heard it described was one of the like things that that made fantasy so approachable and so appealing was how do yeah. regular humans that have like shock and shock and spear tactics that have horseback cavalry have just general modern day have general like medieval cannons and guns how did they stack up against demons what tactics do they use what you know what mythology what type of movement do they use I'm not sure if Mark can give any credence to that, if he's heard anything, or if, like, because, like, the way he describes a tabletop game functioning does seem very similar to, like, how I've heard it described to me. Yeah, like, that one might be a little of my head, to be honest, so I don't know if I really, really want to give an answer. But, no worries. But, like, yeah, like, I, 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 
I haven't played in many years, but yeah, basically, yeah, you'd flank people, you'd get extra attacks and stuff. And, you know, if you surround an enemy, then that's super cool too. Then you get like triple attacks and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I got you. I actually have one more question for our two guests, actually. This one, though, does relate to our Discord, which is... We'll get to, we'll get to. Um, Mark, you wanted the uh, flair, I believe, for dwarves. Is there a particular reason? Uh, has uh, this episode, you know, made you proud of your dwarven flair, or has it made you consider <laughs> it anyway? Uh, yeah, no, I've always been, like, a dwarf fan. Um, something about just, like, that uh, sturdy, reliable nature uh, just really appeals to me, where it's just, like, well, we got to dig a trench. Let's dig a trench. And it, they just fucking dig a trench. You know, they just get the job done. And I really kind of like that mindset. So I've kind of always been drawn to the dwarfs in that way. I got you. Yeah. And our boy Slappy, I believe you wanted Empire. Am I correct? <laughs> yeah, but I didn't notice the dwarf tag um, until I was just looking at Mark's profile in your Discord. Because I didn't Only because I was like created one. like as of uh like 3 p.m today so <laughs> yeah so i didn't get that option um and i actually have a message already typed out to rayway to see if he could switch it i just haven't sent it yet <laughs> oh that's okay i can take care of that for you right now perfect and i've always loved dwarves um ever since like little kid watching lord of the rings gimli was my favorite character so they uh, always have a special place in my heart oh uh, slappy you get me <laughs> That's fine. That's entertaining. Three dwarf armies for Middle Earth strategy battle game. So, oh, fuck yes. <laughs> oh, oh, so you're, you're like a big Lord of the Rings guy. Yeah. Like tabletop. I, I'll have to shoot you a message after this and look yeah. at your minis. Of course. I have a lot of them. <laughs> this is fun. I like this. I think out of all three of the tabletop games GW made, Lord of the Rings was my favorite mechanic-wise. It, it was clean, it was balanced, it was fun, simple. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot more strategic than the other ones. Like you were saying with 40k, it's just kind of like just throw my 10 Space Marines at this objective. But you got to be really kind of cautious with where you place your units, how you advance some, who you leave open. It's, it definitely yeah. adds a lot more strategy to the game yeah well then i want to look up this game <laughs> the please wife i swear we can afford another i can afford another war game yeah, <laughs> it's the, the same company people. so it's all a part of the same budget you know it's it's all allowed when we're not saying you can only do 40k we're saying we're just gw people give us all the gw games yeah we shall add this to uh grim law's uh gw budget tab yes yes <laughs> <laughs> And speaking look, of budget, look, business expenses. <laughs> and speaking of business expenses and budgets, we are having, we are getting a Patreon uh, together in the works, just uh, doing a little bit of research. And uh, so you'll hear more on that later, dear listeners, and we will keep you updated as best we can. Indeed. Oh, any parting words from anyone? Anyone want to make a dick joke while you have a chance? Man, my dick is a joke. Now, shout outs. Hey, if you want to come. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we uh have a lot of content we were the number one podcast for 40k for many years running um go check it out it's a lot of fun also if you want to check out some of my other podcasts i do lore hammer listener lore where you you know listeners submit short stories gerald and uh 
Great way you're actually taking that over for a little bit as I'm working on some laptop issues. So go check that out. And my final podcast, it's with my wife. Uh, It's called Pillow Talk with Mark and B. And we just talk about life, love, whatever. Fuck it. You know, we just have a good chat. That's all right. You made made sure to keep his laptop sabotaged, right? Oh, I'm, 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 I'm still stunned that the, my dick is a joke. Give me a second. Okay. (laughs) Fantastic. Thanks for having me boys. Yeah. Thanks thanks for for coming coming on anytime. Yeah. Thanks both of you for coming on. You're welcome back anytime. And Mark, be sure to bring some more Finn Rizzi and ale while you're at it. (laughs) Yes, sir. Oh. (laughs) Oh my God. All right, I got I got nothing else to say. Just fucking end it. <laughs> All right, have a good night, everybody. Adios. Later. Later.